Hello and welcome to Keanu Club, like a cool breeze over the mountain. This is episode 83 of The Matrix Resurrections from 2021. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today, we have our resident Matrix correspondent, our religious expert, our religious iconography expert. Professor of Symbology at Harvard. <laughs> our neologist. Oh yeah, our, neo- our resident neologist, neologist, we have John Brooks. Hello, John. Hi, I can't believe it's already been since last year that this movie came out. I know. New year, new us. We are talking about the newest Keanu Reeves movie, The Matrix Resurrections, a movie I never thought was going to happen. So here's what I want to find out from you, because John, you reposted three or four episodes. Do you redo the Animatrix 2 or just the three core ones? Just the three core ones, yeah. So you reposted on your show, Hard to Believe, on your feed, the three Matrix episodes we did for this podcast. You re-listened to them. So what did we say about The Matrix Resurrections? Because I feel like for this movie, my dad even reminded me that ever since 2003, I've been like, they're never going to make another one. Yeah. And I was wrong. But I still don't think that I was wrong. It's just like, okay, you know, we'll talk about it. But what did we say on those episodes? <laughs> it's out, but they didn't make it. I, I kind of know where you're going with that. Yeah, so we were talking about, I think, first of all, that we were sort of speculating about what kind of ground it might cover, where it might go next, which I think a lot of that we, we sort of got right it doesn't get into scientology but like a little it kind of does but we'll, we'll get to that so i think in terms of like what we imagined it would be as a direct sequel uh we, we were fairly accurate but but we were also like as we were recording that we're in the midst of the whole zach penn thing and like that michael b jordan was going to star in it and that like yeah. maybe it would be on netflix and you know no None of that was right. Although it is kind of interesting because, of course, I watched it on HBO Go because I'm not going to movie theaters right now. Um, right, HBO Max, I should say. And I was like, oh, I guess. But like also the whole streaming game has also sort of been reimagined via HBO Max. And we did talk about how like Netflix was at the time, like really changing the streaming game. And so there is kind of an element of like that being right. Like the idea that you can watch a movie that's in theaters on a streaming service now for free if you're a subscriber, you know, was a, was a sort of a um, alien concept to us when we recorded five years ago, but because yeah, we did these episodes five years ago, yeah, beginning of 2017, which feels like you know in terms of the streaming, in terms of the way that we watch movies, radically different. Yeah, no, it's an interesting little time capsule because like we weren't entirely wrong about some of the things we were speculating on, and um, and yet some of them are sort of funny because it just resurrections was not that it was actually a lot more like what we kind of originally had envisioned for a direct sequel so anyway i'm i'm looking forward to talking about it yeah so i've seen this twice i saw it in theaters i want to see it in imax and then i watched it again on hbo max yesterday john you watched on hbo max mike where did you see this movie i also watched it at home on hbo max and i got to watch it twice so yeah it was uh it's kind of incredible i haven't seen it in a couple days and it's still washing over me and i've been you know online listening to all the different shows and watching all the different videos and you know everyone trying to tear it apart and dissect it or analyze it and this and that and I was, you know I'm, I'm also interested to kind of get into the kind of reaction that this movie caused whether or not uh, people liked it or not and why and all that kind of thing but I mean just you know I love this movie like I couldn't believe my eyes while I was watching it kind of experience so yeah I'm, I'm super stoked to talk more about this thing yeah, it feels like, and I don't know if this makes any sense, but it's the best way that I've heard it described, that if you're hoping for a Matrix sequel, you'll be disappointed. But if you're okay with like a sequel to the Matrix, <laughs> which is like a sort of semantic difference, you'll be really happy with it. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. I've sort of been tossing that sort of idea as like, how do I actually encapsulate this to people? Like, how do I explain what it is? And one of the things that I found so fascinating about it is that it really is, I guess, 
It's not The Matrix 4. It's a sequel to The Matrix. Right, correct. And it really is a movie that can only exist now. Like, it's a movie that... Um, it also made me re- sort of rethink the historical context of when the original Matrix came out and how they could only exist in that, like, 1999 on... Well, I wonder of... if we have more to say about that later this year, Karen. <laughs> Spoiler preview. But, yeah, I, so, I, again, I've been thinking about that, right? Which maybe we'll talk about sure. a bit later on. But I'm thinking about that, and then I was thinking, like, well, this movie really it doesn't just justify its existence. It, it exists within the like 2021 framework that it's it's a it's a sequel that is concurrent with the timeline of the original matrix and that its existence feels justified in that it is looking back and also looking at what's happening right now and there's clearly a lot of lana wachowski's own kind of personal growth within that time that's reflected on here so like yeah it's a sequel that's unique because it it factors in the literal passage of time between the original matrix and now not just within the story but within the like story outside of the story right the the fact of the world as it is now versus then is a really big part of this movie and i don't think i've i mean i'm trying to think of other examples where that has been the case and i don't think there really is one at least not in quite this way so the the reception overall is very mixed to this, because I do think that if you were to watch this movie and were to say it's confusing, it's like, yeah, it is. If you were to say the action is kind of underwhelming, it's like, yeah, it kind of is. If you're like, I don't know why this exists, it's like, yeah, I kind of understand that too. <laughs> but I think what you're sort of alluding to, what we'll get to, is that this movie exists as a meta-commentary on greed, I think. And I think that factors in both into the why this actual movie was made and then why in the movie they are making the Matrix 4 video game and then why within the actual Matrix code and whatever the analyst is actually you know trying to mess with Trinity and Neo like I think greed is the bottom line here and what does it mean to make a blockbuster film in 2021 what does it mean to revive a 20 year old dead franchise that like had wrapped up its story and we can just get into anything but Mike before we talk about like the characters and everything is there anything you want to say off the bat to get it off your chest oh i mean just in terms of of what you guys have been saying as well i mean it's like i'm almost like it's not exactly like a movie for me almost like it's something new in a way it's weird like i was kind of trying to figure out a way to explain it but like in this day of new technology and the way that that entertainment is delivered and all this different stuff it's like tv shows spin-offs and you know that's even referenced here like it, it just feels like it's more of like a uh, and it is because there is an analyst in the movie but it feels like it's more of like a video analyzing what the matrix is about you know than, than like progressing the story it's like more interested in that and so am i on a lot of levels it still manages to be a very incredibly entertaining and thought-provoking movie and also uh like further the lore of the matrix world and all the machine stuff and everything and so i was just very fascinated by that aspect of it while i was watching it i was like you know it doesn't necessarily feel like a movie but it doesn't feel like a tv show but it feels like the matrix and and the nature of programming and all of that kind of uh stuff that comes together gives it reason like makes it make sense for it to do these kinds of things like repeat itself and be the most ultimate meta thing that ever existed basically about like something commenting on itself by the creator getting into all that was was just unexpected and a lot of fun and i wasn't thinking that the matrix was going to reference itself so hard i just thought it would continue the story of like the survivors right it was just full of great surprises along the way so, so. 
So we we start the movie, and the, I think the easiest, and I don't even know if easy is the right word, but the, maybe the best way to think about this movie is like a remix of the first three, like directly and indirectly. So we start off and we find out that in the world of this movie, the first three matrices, matrices, whatever, were video games coded or created by Thomas Anderson, aka Neo, as played by Keanu Reeves. And that what we saw were these movies, these experiences for this character and this entity in both the Matrix and the real world were just stories in a video game that was like an international global sensation, right? So Keanu here as Thomas Anderson starts off once again as a programmer, but a computer programmer, but like the things that we associated with the original trilogy, like Trinity falling out and like shooting bullets while she's falling, or like the Sentinels, or just like Deus Machina, like all those things are just remixed here to be things that he created. And so he once again, like in the first movie, has to be woken up and sort of resume his rightful place as the one what do you guys think of keanu here you know this the hallmark of this show keanu as neo 2.0 i guess uh well you know it's great to be watching another keanu movie after over a year first and foremost um and aside from just how great he looked i liked what he was doing here with the with the character like all of his little kind of nervous twitches his you know the way that he's representing his anxieties and and everything like i was actually pretty entertained and surprised like i like there's a lot of sort of like unintentional comedy in his performance and in this um and i really um i really dug it and and i loved right off the bat them saying you know because when the matrix came out everyone was like oh yeah the real world what if we lived in a video game and it's like boom you know the first thing that i was like oh my god they're commenting on that right away like the matrix was a video game like it worked so so well for me so i loved i loved it love seeing keanu back so i have to say like one of the things that this movie really drives home is, is one of the things that like when you listen back to our uh episodes from five years ago i keep coming back to this idea that the thesis the sort of broad thesis of the matrix is that there is no reality in other words like there's there's not a reality that you can land on that is itself the final reality where there isn't something either above or below it right this movie really doubles down on that in some awesome ways and um we could talk maybe in a little bit more detail about that later on what i think is great and sort of underrated about keanu's performance is that he both understands this character and the dimensions of the character and also like where the character fits like he, he understands the thesis of the matrix in a way that like most where the character fits within the movie or within the broader like social like cultural spectrum no i think within the within the world of the movie i think he, okay. he gets what thomas anderson is and like how the, the the movie world the rules work right which i think is really important <laughs> to, in order to be able to portray that character in the way that he does there's something very natural about both him and um carrie ann moss and the way that they fit into this universe somehow i think other actors just would try to overdo it or underdo it and it really is essential that it really be these two i thought a lot more about that in watching this particular iteration of it i mean the androgyny of both of those actors i think is really important right when it comes to some of the themes but yeah i, I really understood this time that that keanu is not just a vehicle through which the the wachowskis are telling the story it is he is in fact 
someone who really does get philosophically like what's going on here and is able to sort of accept it and drive that very naturalistically. I, this is this is honestly like my favorite ever Keanu Reeves performance is in, in this movie. I think he's just fantastic. I'm not sure in terms of performance. Like when we did the Keanu Awards, when we wrapped the original run of the show, I think I said my favorite performance was John Wick because it kind of felt like a culmination of like they kind of yeah, wrote, that, sure. wrote that character around a career of Keanu performances. This is in my top five Keanu movies, mm. like a Along with the first one and the first John Wick, like this is just it's so good. And like, I think that by almost having like a more muted in a way performance, it's more interesting. And I don't mean muted in like a in a in a negative way. Right. It's kind of like what you're saying. It's like he understands the, the part because like I think one of the more interesting things about the movie is that he's not the one. The one is him and Trinity together. And I think he realizes that it's it's the unity of them. I think he may be bringing a lot of himself, I mean, of course, to the role. I think that's another sort of point of the film. He is a very successful person now in The Matrix, and he's a very successful actor. He's a very private person in The Matrix. He's a very private person in real life. And, and so we're almost seeing, like, voyeurs into who Keanu maybe really is in a lot of ways, like this uncomfortable kind of normal person who's just like everyone else. I kind of, I don't know, I like this Thomas Anderson wasn't so self-assured. It set him apart from the previous one, who was more of like this, like, silent rebel or something, you know? Like, he always wanted to stick it to the man, and he had, like, this bad attitude, but this one just feels so kind of subdued but I, I really love how he's able to channel a different kind of corner of this character a quick question for you guys what if the rest of this movie was no other matrix stuff it was about the guy who created the matrix and the success that brought that and sort of he is delusional and has these episodes i love those scenes between keanu and carrie ann moss i would almost just watch that movie too if they gave us that I would be kind of cool with it already. I'm like digging this opening stuff so much. Well, I mean, you know my stance on trailers. Like I went into the seeing no trailers. The only thing I really knew about this at all was just, and we'll talk about him, but that Jonathan Groff line from the trailer, which I had heard, I hadn't even seen, but just like back to the Matrix. But I'm like, I don't know what that means. And like, it just seems like he's like in an office somewhere, which he is. But like, I'm sitting in the theater watching this and I'm like, it might just be this. Like we might not actually, because I knew like to a certain extent that like some people loved it and that, you know, the people that really loved it were like, it's a commentary on movies and sequels and whatever and, and like other people like not liking it for that same reason I'm like we might not go back to the Matrix and like I'm okay because I trust in whatever this winds up being so I don't know if I would have liked that more Mike but like I would have been okay with it yeah cool because once I saw like the McFarlane toys on the desk and like the bust of Hugo Weaving in his boss's office I was like maybe we're not gonna wake back up so I was just curious if either of you had that kind of same thoughts I did, I have to say, like, I was really in kind of an inversion of the the setup for the original Matrix is that the world in which Thomas Anderson exists is, in the 99 version, is deliberately like dull and mechanic and and drab and like you want to leave it but the setup here is that now you know neo slash thomas anderson has kind of more control over it and it's an improved matrix and like i really wanted to stay there and i was almost kind of bummed when he broke out because it is such a more interesting place and again that's also one of the points right um one of kind of the premises of this version is that 
it's almost like they're almost favoring Cypher's idea where you can just like make it your own and that's good enough as long as it's what you want it to be. But yeah, there's it's so much more sort of like vivid. Um, there's so many more elements from the consequences of uh, revolutions that play into the, this making of it that I was like, oh, I don't want to go back to Zion. <laughs> I want to stay here. This is interesting and cool and I want this to be real and it's not and I know it's not. And um, I, I thought, you know, just sort of like flipping that expectation from what we uh, are used to in the in the original trilogy, I, I thought was really cool. Well, I think where I fall on this is that it's a theme that was evident throughout the first three movies, but it's something that I think that the Wachowskis, and I know that Lana was the only one who worked on this one, she wrote and directed it, and Lily was not involved. I'm sure she probably was involved to some extent, but her name I don't think her name is on this, right? But what they really kind of, both of them really zeroed in on, I think, in making Cloud Atlas, which then also can, carried on into like Sense 8 and Jupiter Ascending. And this is that love will conquer everything. And <laughs> it's such a simple, corny thing, but I'm so bought into it. And it's so beautiful. And it's my favorite thing. And like, it's why the, the two of them, whether they're together or separate, or, you know, whether Tom Tickfer is in or whatever, like they do a thing where it's like, yeah, that's beautiful. And it's also kind of corny. And I love love it and i think to go back to like that's where keanu understands how to operate in that world in that realm but also whether we get the movie that we got or the movie we're just in the matrix for the entire time i'm just there for the ride because i trust them to tell a story that is emotionally satisfying and interesting and visually interesting right and so whatever we got the performances that we're amplifying through here or whatever i'm on board because the way that they tell stories and what they choose to focus on nobody else is doing that like nobody's just like yeah, but like, what if love powered the universe? Like, maybe like Christopher <laughs> Nolan kind of does it like in Interstellar, right? Like, that's close. And like, yeah. not since the fifth element, but it's been a while. Few and far between, but I'm with you. Yeah, but like, it's very few and far between. And yet that is like the only thing they do. And I love it. Yeah, it's a really good point. And it, it, it speaks to, I think, some of the other thing that I've sort of been wrestling with in the last couple of weeks is this idea of like, how do we classify or how do we quantify like what the Matrix is about if we take it for all four? And I can dissect the religion angle all day <laughs> and all week and forever. And there's a lot here that I thought was really, really cool. Although I think it scales it back in some interesting ways as well. One of the things I've been really struggling with is like people, on the internet saying the matrix is about this right it's about this and joey i think you're right that like well they talk about that in this movie right like in the boardroom right when they're right, trying right. to right. map out matrix four it's like it's about guns right. like i like my things dumb and loud or no it's about like it's a trans story no it's this right. it's, it's, it's anti-capitalist it's whatever it's the ultimate mind f and that's what I'm that's what I'm getting at. Like there's yes. there's a philosophy to the Wachowskis and to and to Lana Wachowski in this movie especially that like love is all there is, right? It's the uh, John Lennon thing. And so but then I see people being like, "Oh, y'all think it's about Jesus. It's really it's it's literally about being trans." And I'm like, "No, it is. You're right. It is." Right. It is if you want to take one sort of aerial view of the entire thing and you can say i can i can talk about this whole series from the perspective of um the experience of being trans and i think that's awesome right and i i can't speak to that because i don't have that experience but like i can definitely see it um and of course like it makes sense given the creators and like that's one angle if you then step a little bit closer in you can say look at all these different sort of religious themes and ideas they use to tell that story and like i can tell that story and then if you step a little bit further back it's actually about 
about the very nature of identity itself. And then if you step even further back from that, right, you can say what they're saying is essentially like love conquers all and is the only thing that is relevant and real in any given version of any possible reality. And like, those are all true. Those are all true things. And I love that scene that you're allude to there where they actually have that conversation and it's like, bullet time <laughs> it's like yeah yeah you know what for a bunch of bros in 1999 who were like this movie's mind-blowing it was like all they cared about was bullet time and they literally checked out after anything else happened in in the second and third movie i felt really gratified that they acknowledged or that lana acknowledged that right <laughs> like this conversation is relevant it's real you can say it's all about being trans and then you can also say like well here's why a pastor in some like youth group was like hey guys check out the matrix it's about jesus and it's like well it's not about jesus <laughs> but like i understand why you saw jesus stuff in there and it's there and it's deliberate and certainly like you can use it for that purpose if that's the angle or that's the lens that you want to take to like look at this and there's almost a meta joke about that as well in this movie where external to the to the real world it, it, within the matrix neo is the classical Western Jesus. He's given the beard and the long hair, right? And it's, and it's sort of like, we, we finally get that vision of Jesus in Neo. And, and again, it's it's very, it's meta. People have talked about how meta this movie is. And I think it's meta in all the right ways, right? In the ways that are right. absolutely essential to tell the story the way the, that, that she wanted to tell it. Um, but anyway, I've, I've digressed a little bit there. No, no, but like, I, I also don't want to say, like, I want to go back and I just want to say, like, I don't, when I say it's about love, conquering everything like that's not the only thing right. it's about but like to me that's the thing that like resonates the most i think the movie that really that's most clearly of theirs that it's about is cloud atlas like i think mm -hmm. if if there's one theme in cloud atlas it's that and i think that just has continued and carried on and it's just what works for me and mike and i talked about cloud atlas for a while on our hanks from the memories podcast we did that for tom hanks but like that's just what resonates and that leads to my favorite moment which we'll get to later but yeah also, the, the love story here kind of carries us over into Carrie Ann Moss as Trinity or in the new version of The Matrix, Tiffany. <laughs> Our friends call her Tiff. Her dead name. Yeah. She is, I don't know either, either of you recognized or read, but her husband is played by Chad Stahelski, who is Keanu's stunt double from the first Matrix. He also went on to, you know, do John Wick. So like very good casting there. And also just fucking perfect that his name both within the world and outside of it is Chad. Like, of course. <laughs> yeah. And so she's a suburban mother of three who is, you know, largely unaware of the Matrix. She's heard of it, but doesn't really know it. And he used her likeness and almost name to create Trinity, supposedly. But Mike, what did you think of this remixed version of Tiffany, Trinity, Carrie Ann Moss? First of all, Carrie Ann Moss, like, has she, where has she been in other movies? Because I almost totally forgot she was around as F in the Matrix. Mike, she made, a really, she made a really interesting version of Frankenstein that you should see. Get out, really? <laughs> no, no, for real. Yeah, it's really good. Oh, yeah. well, okay, good. I'm actually glad to hear. I'd rather I'd watch her in that for sure. But I mean, <laughs> first of all, look again, just like Keanu, like, looks just the same from, like, the last movie. So, like, that really helps a lot sometimes when, like, people don't age or they age perfectly or whatever. It's like there's something mentally that I guess is easier to kind of keep going along in a story rather than like, you know, it was a little tough when Mark Hamill showed up, you know, at the end of Force Awakens and you're like, oh, um, OK, uh, <laughs> like hasn't really been working out for 30 years. But regardless, I love what they did with Trinity because I just I, I feel like, you know, the Matrix is a prison, but it's also like this social prison. Right. And so like she is stuck in all of the things that like women are have been told to do in America you know, since 
the homemaker, the housewife, like that whole angle and everything. And I just love that Lana is commenting on that as like a, a woman of the new eras and everything. And so it's really great to see that being applied here too, you know, because we didn't get to see what Trinity was like before she woke up from the original Matrix. So maybe this right. was her fate, like she was trapped as a housewife. And yeah, the idea of using Chad as Chad, but also as Chad is very cool. Um, there's like a lot of cool doppelganger kind of things going on with that. And then that Tiffany makes custom motorcycles. Excuse me, but doesn't Keanu do that as well? Like in real yeah, life? Like yeah. that, again, I was just like, whoa, um, to fit all that in <laughs> kind of seamlessly is very tricky and dangerous, you know? And especially like if people are in the know, like us, like we do a Keanu podcast, we're aware of that. That could go either way. And I was really happy it was in there. So I thought it was interesting. And just the whole concept that this matrix is kind of built on their yearning for each other like they're right there but they can never be together it's just so cruel and it also speaks to like the whole point of love conquering all eventually is that like you can't do this to love right like it will find a way to kind of break apart this barrier like sure you could separate it by like a couple feet or whatever but it is gonna rejoin eventually so i thought this whole new dynamic between tiff and thomas uh was very interesting I did also, like, I, I, again, in kind of the way that Lana Wachowski, I, I feel like, feels more comfortable kind of openly exploring some of these trans themes. I love the idea of this being, like, her dead name, where at the end of it, where she's like, it's Trinity, I fucking hate Tiffany, <laughs> right? I, I thought that was very clever. I also like the idea of Neo not appearing to others the way he appears to himself which i thought was right. a really interesting again like a very just like like not hit you over the head but way of kind of reminding you that this theme existed in the previous trilogy as well in a way that we're more used to hearing about in the last 20 years than than we were then and i i, I thought that was just like again lana wachowski is a much more for something that's so over the top and in your face as the matrix is like her subtlety i think is 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 one of the things that we probably don't talk enough about yeah I, th I think they really learned to like i mean i think at least she maybe learned a lesson like from stuff like cloud atlas which i mean i love cloud atlas don't get me wrong but even like jupiter ascending which forgive me joey can can be like you know a bit much sometimes for, for <laughs> no, me it's perfect but i hear what you're saying go on you know yeah i don't mean any disrespect about that because i still really like that movie but here in this movie she seems to have found like this insane kind of like balance to bring it all out evenly that's how it just felt to me. I just had to say that. The other thing that I thought was really kind of funny and fun and also played into the movie's thesis was that it acknowledges the fact that like neither of them have aged, especially in 20 years. They're both still super freaking smoking hot. They both look like they did 20 years ago. And there's something almost that's like these two actors were hired in a certain sense because of their A, beauty and B, sort of androgynous nature, where it almost is like 20 years later, Lana Wachowski was like, hey, do they still look the same? they do awesome let's make this movie now because i thought they would <laughs> and and that actually plays into the movie itself like one of the things that's one of the sort of underlying mysteries of thomas anderson is like everybody's like why don't you age like why do you not look older because you actually do in this mirror image that you're not seeing but like you don't to anybody else and when you shave his head and the same with carrie ann moss and put them outside the matrix they literally look the same as they did 20 years ago yeah. and i think that's 
that's just uh, that's just fascinating sort of foresight on their part to know that these two people are still going to be super gorgeous in 20 years and convincingly play these roles unlike say mark hamill who by the way mike really got in shape for, for the, the new star wars trilogy like lost a lot of weight and like worked out a lot to to get into um that shape as luke skywalker if you'd seen him and stuff like prior to that yeah he was he let himself go quite a bit i do think now is a good time to sort of frame the context within which time exists in this movie we are led to believe it's like 20 years later because it's 20 years later we're told it's 20 years later but it's actually been 60 years and the way the reason that trinity and the us as far as i understand the way the reason that they have not aged well i guess we'll talk more about this later when we talk about the analyst but at the end of the matrix revolutions both of them died right trinity was impaled by metal pipes and keon or neo sacrificed himself to end the war between man and machine right so they're both dead in this world but their uniqueness, their specialty, the fact that they are the anomaly, or especially Neo is the anomaly, they say that Neo is the anomaly, is so powerful and can generate such electricity and energy for what they need to power that they revitalize them and rebuilt them with machines and sort of nanotechnology, right? And so because of that technology, they sort of age more slowly, I guess, than the world around them. So we think it's 20 years later. It's actually been 60 years later. But in the world of the Matrix, to preserve these batteries, these super batteries, right? They keep changing what they look like to the world. It goes, again, to what, John, you were just saying about the, the trans identity. And instead of the residual self-image, they have the digital self-image, like how you imagine yourself, kind of like an avatar in the metaverse, right? And so Keanu sees himself as Keanu, Trinity sees herself as Trinity, but you see in reflections and in mirrors and whatever that they look different. And they keep changing how they look and, I guess, how their code reads so that people like Bug and her team can't find and extract them because if the Matrix loses them, they lose this great source of power. Is that all fair to say and accurate and like a decent enough summation of like one of the the more obscure and weirder elements of this story? Yes. Cool. Uh, yeah, the only the only thing else that I picked up on that was that like I think Neil Patrick Harris said like Neo had a specific source code and, uh, and it took him years to find it. And I think maybe that could attribute as to why he looks younger is because it took like 20 years to maybe even rebuild him and come up with like the idea and stuff, um, which is a great comment where he's like, it was crazy expensive to resurrect you. I was like, yeah, they must have backed the money truck up to Keanu's apartment one day. <laughs> it's crazy expensive. <laughs> The next character I want to talk about is one of the bigger departures from the original is Yahya Abdul-Mateen II as Morpheus, mm. also a little bit as Smith. Agent Morpheus. I feel like he was a little underused in this, and it's unclear why Lawrence Fishburne is not back, because he's still acting, because he's still in the John Wick movies. And as far as I've heard, he was willing to come back, and he didn't come back. I don't know if either of you have any information on that. I do love Yahya Abdul-Mateen here, at least in like the first act that he's in, but he is stuck in what's called the modal, which is kind of like a deep learning set, kind of, where it's like a, 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 a cycle for AI to improve itself. You know... The way that AI trains itself or the way that like general adversarial networks like these like really, you know, like what Google has or what DeepMind has or whatever, AI that become that 
it is improved is through like what's called deep learning. And so I don't know if it's exactly what they're explaining here, but here they're just saying it's like a training set where they keep playing the same thing over and over again. And so what we see, and I don't know how long of a loop it is, but it's the opening to the first movie where a character we think is Trinity until we realize it's not Trinity, where the lines are similar but not exact, where the action is similar but not exact, where agents go to get her but they're not the agents that we know. I think we're led to believe that that is one of probably many modals in which these agent AI, which now has swarm mode, which is sick fun, they exist in there to improve themselves so they can more easily and more confidently and better take down really, really strong characters or people who exist outside of the world. And so obviously in the first movie, you know, Trinity kills the cops and then runs away and barely escapes from the agents. But in this version, the Trinity that we see, who is not Carrie Ann Moss, who might not even be named Trinity, is not as lucky, is not as successful because the AI has been training itself to get better and clearly has. But also in all that time, all those loops, Morpheus, as played by Yahya Abdul-Mateen, who is an agent in this world, has realized by seeing his steam on his mirror or the rain trickling down a window that he's eating lunch at a place, that there is matrix code. And he's like, there's something more out there. So he finds passageway into like the keymaker's back alleys or back hallway or whatever. And so I don't know how long this loop is, but clearly the agent AI is more advanced here. But also in this remixed version, one of the agents is also Morpheus who wants to be awoken in a way, a different way than Agent Smith wanted to be awoken in the original trilogy. Yeah, I want to get kind of get back to the Lawrence Fishburne thing. Everything that you just said is 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 a good summation and and right. And I also want to get back to this word modal, which is what I was like, oh, as soon as I heard that, I'm like, okay, I, I see where we're going here. If you, while I'm talking, want to Google the word modalism and see the first like matrix related word that pops up. Oh, huh. The doctrine that the persons of the Trinity represent only three modes or aspects of the divine revelation, not distinct and coexisting persons in the divine nature. I think it's really important that this not be Lawrence Fishburne. And and one of the things that I loved about the casting of uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen was that if you were to take Lawrence Fishburne and uh, Hugo Weaving and make a new person out of them, like that's roughly what you would get. <laughs> or, like there's elements of both of those actors that I think is he's putting into that performance. And... The reason that I thought it was so interesting, uh, this idea that Neo has basically turned those two characters of his own backstory into a single entity, was that it's a it's a recognition, again, of one of the sort of emerging ideas in The Matrix, which is that there is no grounded reality, and that sort of Neo has subconsciously realized in some way that Smith and Morpheus are both his kind of foils or guides in these two levels of of reality and that in order for him to kind of reconcile that he just merges them into one single entity who perform basically the same function and then this character himself like ends up being a character who transcends both of those realities in in the opposite way that morpheus does and, and like the reason to me that it can't be Lawrence fishburne is like none of that really works if you reuse either of those actors whether it be hugo weaving or Lawrence fishburne because just as well this could have been hugo weaving playing Morpheus. Morpheus, right? As like the, the Smith side of this character. But no, I thought that worked beautifully. And like, yeah, I just don't really see how Lawrence Fishburne fits into this movie, given sort of the the overriding thesis that it presents. Sure. Okay. 
That's fair. Yeah, I guess the only place I could have seen him fitting in is in like a flashback during a battle if he actually wanted to kind of show his death. But that kind of, I don't think like that's necessary. But they also have like, they they give the Morpheus that we know a send off by like the statue, right? Yeah. In Io, which yeah. is the new Zion. Io also very computer, but also more than just computer and also just within Zion, right? But like we the Morpheus we know gets a, a, a fair send off. I'm sure Lawrence Fishman would love to be in here, but I, I do see what you're saying, John. So thank you for that, uh, that insight. I really dig this new Morpheus, to be honest. Like, I think he's the coolest thing in the entire movie, like character wise, acting wise is so freaking like hip. You know, the the original Matrix was so sort of concerned with being cool. And this one very much isn't. But yet he is because he is the like, he's like the memory of the last movie. He's like, oh, yeah, that was Morpheus Uno. I'm Morpheus, you know, 2, 2.0, Agent Morpheus. Like, I, I dig all of that. I love how they use this character, too, in the sense to show me what I've always wanted to see, which was a Matrix within the Matrix. And then him finally escaping into the actual real world and that they give the AIs, you know, as much mobility as possible in the real world. I think that technology was really cool. I really liked the way that was represented. Um, I liked the way he his contribution to the heist later. I don't know. I just his general attitude and well-being kind of just kept me upbeat the whole movie. Every time he showed up, like that bathroom scene is hilarious where he's like, you know, I know we're in a bathroom at this point, whatever. When they're like re-showing the old movie. And he's acting it out on the stage. Like, I really <laughs> dig that Morpheus, this Morpheus thing. I don't, it's all very awesome and unexpected. So he's also the new Candyman. He was also in Trial of Chicago 7. Like, he's one of, he's also in Us. Like, he's one of the hottest working actors right now. He's also in Baywatch. I think that was one of his first movies. So <laughs> that he's been in a bunch of stuff and he's going to continue to be in a bunch of stuff. But he's awesome. And also, like, like I think one of the funnier moments in this movie, and Mike, it's a little before what you're saying, but it's the same thing where he's acting it out, where is where he finally meets Neo. And he goes, at last. And like, it's so cool, but it's like in a bathroom. He knows it sort of sucks. He's just like, oh man, like I didn't know if I should do it because like I'm in the bathroom. Like it's not as cool as like being this like, again, what you're saying, like in the original, it's so cool. It's like in that like kind of grungy old apartment with the rain coming down. And you're like, oh my God, this is so badass. And like here to have him like stroll out of a stall and like this bright orange jump, like just like, it's not at all, but it's exactly. And it's, it's, it's perfect. The flip side of that Agent Smith coin though, we have Jonathan Groff as Smith, who is in the Matrix Neo's boss thomas's boss uh jonathan groff from frozen but also from mindhunter from i want to say spring awakening like a big broadway guy i know that hamilton king george he's also great he apparently studied film of agent smith of hugo weaving like because his mr anderson in this is phenomenal scary accurate i I loved that (laughs) but he's also remixed because he's you know if if smith is split between new morpheus and this guy this smith is also like kind of like an evolved more mature version of where smith gets to at the end of the third one like he knows that he can't exist without neo but also by neo not existing or not being there he's able to become the true self so like the fact that smith saves him in a way by the end of this is like super cool so this is maybe in spite of all the compliments i've put on this movie already the jonathan groff like the way that they write this character but also his portrayal is like one of the most interesting things i think about this movie for me yeah i I think that there's not even there's not enough of him in the movie if you ask me like he's again to me he's, he's another fresh face so that was cool i kind of had a feeling he was the new agent smith like official agent smith but he's got like such a different attitude about everything this time around you know like he's not about really so much taking over this matrix as he just kind of 
wants to be free of the leash, right? That's what he says. Like he is, he is like on a chain from the analyst and he was not giving consent to be brought back. So I like how he has so much more of like a comic book arch sort of quest in this one where he's like, I just have revenge, man. He's like, I just, just get out of my way, you know, and let me get the analyst and you can do whatever you want. Fine. And then I, I thought that was kind of nice. Like they've sort of put their beef aside for the most part in this movie to, to go after Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, I, I really loved the reimagining, though. Uh, like, again, I think it's one of those kind of like important reimaginings in the same way that the recasting of Morpheus is. There's a um, a trajectory of the Hugo Weaving Smith in the original trilogy that if you then reintroduce Hugo Weaving 20 years older, probably not as well aged as Keanu Reeves is, that doesn't make sense. And th- there's always been this element of this character that Smith knows the boundaries of of his own potential that yep. he realizes yep. that like the matrix is all he's got and if he can control all of it then like that's the limits of his abilities and it just sort of takes that sort of a step further right and then sort of gives him a, a an upgrade to be slightly better looking and younger and bluer eyes and whatever else he talks about this version of him having but then makes his his intervention against the uh the analyst at the end like it, it makes sense it's not like like smith didn't change his mind you just sort of realize oh you know no this is consistent with his uh his entire motivation um what he actually wants to get done like he has evolved he has become more aware of like who he is where he fits in and like what his potential actually is it just the portrayal of it here makes it make the the next sense right it's like where that story would go like this is literally where it would go and it kind of leaves it open a little bit at the end as to sort of like will this character evolve any and has anything really changed or is this like kind of a closed book again i think that's part again one of the sort of story theses that the the movie brings up is this idea of like stories don't end you don't just like end a movie and then that nothing else happens after that right it goes on forever and i love hugo weaving and i love his portrayal of the character and i also love that Jonathan Groff decided to portray Hugo Weaving's version of that character, but then also give it this added dimension. And and he's such a talented and entertaining actor who also like like Weaving is very good at hamming it up. Um, it's just perfect casting, and and uh, it's a it's one of my one of the highlights to me of the movie is his new version of Smith. It's so interesting how they made him Neo's boss. Yeah. Right. But yeah, exactly. Because he is like within that framework, like he is, but he also like, he's kind of his like sniveling boss, right? He's like his boss who's like, he owns slightly more of the company or whatever it is. Like he's a partner, but he's a partner who's like kind of a dick. And like that sort of narrows down where Neo is now within the, the framework of the story and of the world, which is different from when he was this like FBI thug in the original and Neo's like a, a hapless nobody. It's a perfect reflection of like where those two characters are for us watching the the series as opposed to where they were at the beginning of the story in in 1999 the last kind of real serious remixed character we have and it's not even a remix as much of like a direct successor in a way is neil patrick harris as the analyst who is this matrix's version of the architect and he's also in this reality thomas's therapist prescribing him blue pills and 
has all of the answers because he knows everything. He has evolved beyond bullet time. He's able to move faster than Neo and only gets his comeuppance when Agent Smith's like, oh no, I know your rules too. Like I can break your rules the same way you can break your rules. Like, let's just do this. I've heard criticisms that like the Neil Patrick Harris as the villain was like subversive and unexpected 15 years ago. And like, you know, in Dr. Horrible when they did that. But like here it's like, well, you know, maybe not. But I, I didn't mind that. I like him here. I think I immediately picked up on the fact that he was the architect. Not maybe immediately, but like pretty quickly. So I was like, okay, I see what they're doing here. And I was able to like go from there because I think the architect scene in Reloaded is I think what a lot of people point to in the sequels. And they're like, I don't know why this is here. This is not the Matrix that I wanted. I don't want just like a 15 minute monologue. But I think he doesn't do that here. He does other like that. That kind of monologuing is like maybe elsewhere in the movie. But I think that he is smarter and more cunning than the architect. I liked what he did here. So what do you guys think of the analyst? Yeah, this was a big surprise, not in terms of his like reveal as the villain, but just as Neil Patrick Harris as like performances. I think he killed it in this. Like, I always liked Neil Patrick Harris, but I've never really seen him be a co-star in this sense. You know, like he comes through Harold and Kumar movies and things, right? And like makes maybe Christmas Lifetime films every once in a while. I'm not really sure. I love the use of him because he is an advocate for the opposite of everything he kind of represents in this movie in a lot of ways. So it's interesting to use him as kind of the mouthpiece for hate and, you know, conspiracy and control and like all that kind of stuff. It was a little off-putting because I really like NPH in real life. And so like it was one of those movies where it was like, oh, he's the bad guy. It's like got to wrap my head around not liking this very likable guy. And and so I love this performance. I love the cat. Deja vu. Like that was a great way to just just take one tiny thing from one scene in a movie and and lace it throughout the the entire thing you know make it a huge plot point that was really cool it was a really good thing to do with that yeah so like there's there's a lot going on with this guy but i love the way he was portrayed i love this sort of new and improved architect uh mentality you know how he talks about like i know humans he's like i even i think he might even say like not loves humans but like he really understands humans where the architect was too too much about numbers and numbers and this and that and stuff so like yeah it really kind of speaks to a lot he really kind of speaks to a lot of like what's going on today and the way people are being controlled through media uh so really wild it's weird that neil patrick harris is into my, my two favorite movies of 2021 which is just an unlikely coincidence i guess this movie and uh 8-bit christmas were my were my two most enjoyable really yeah, I loved, wow i loved 8-bit christmas it was great i haven't seen that yet okay you're the first person i've heard talk about it one way or the other <laughs> like not only that it was good or bad just that it was a thing that you saw so okay i'll check it it's out a, it's a terrific little movie it is especially terrific if you are of the exact age that it's aimed at which is people who are literally exactly my age oh so maybe I won't like it as much. Okay, I got You'll it. still get it, though. It, it really is like a... It's not a remake of A Christmas Story, but like it's very clearly heavily inspired as like a remake of A Christmas Story, where it sets it several decades in the, in the future of where that story is. Sure. But it's built, built it. around the same basic premise. It's like, a you know, someone in the future telling about his his childhood Christmas. And he's great in it. Um, it's a great little movie. I really do recommend it to everybody. But no, he's, he's also really great at these roles where he's sort of almost like a narrator, right, on the sidelines, who's sort of commenting on uh, the action as opposed to being directly involved in it. From going from the sort of traditional almost Zeus-like god of the architect in the original uh, to the sort of reimagining of this role as an analyst in this where you have the old guy with the white beard right who's the architect who's this is this very sort of classical god imagery 
I think that you need someone like Neil. I mean, again, I think this is perfectly cast because he, as an actor, has really been able to sort of find these two modes where like in How I Met Your Mother, he's this sort of like prickish alpha male. And then like in real life, he's this like very likable man married to another man with kids and like, you know, goofy and like very, very kind of charming. But he plays both modes so well. This is a character who's very bipolar, who needs to be able to do both of those things right sort of turn evil on a dime and then turn back and then be both at the same time it's a sophisticated role i think he's he's very very good in it there's also something about mph where he's like there's an element of this character who's like the creepy psychologist slash kind of cult leader like element that you, you need all of that um so again yeah like yeah abdul mateen I, I think he's it's just it's a great casting you, you sort of figured out who the character is and who would who would best play him and um i love this performance i i was not at all sort of bogged down by the neil patrick harrisness of it all it just it it fit perfectly for me and um i, I love the move away from the architect to the analyst and like what that says about the uh development of theology as well since where we sort of left off from the last movie sort of re-envisioning this role as someone who is the creator to someone who's just kind of an observer but kind of wants to be more i i think it's it's a brilliant innovation of this movie but yeah i I mean he's not the only person who's sort of i mean niobe's back and also we get this like new version of sati and a a homeless merovingian uh yeah we'll talk we'll talk about that yeah i i'll get there i'm still working my way down the list i do want to say though mike that we will be talking about neil patrick harris again this year because apparently he's in the unbearable weight of massive talent a new nicholas cage movie coming out so he will we'll talk about that but yeah so i also do want to say we we do have sati priyanka chopra jones recast as sati who is the little girl from limbo av or mobile av limbo in the matrix revolutions which she's now a chrome bird if i'm not mistaken she's the chrome robot bird is that what she's inside yes i love it i love that well that's one thing that's one thing that we have not talked about in terms of the real world in io is that in the end of reloaded into revolutions smith escapes the matrix right and i'm still not exact i'm still a little fuzzy because i haven't seen the movie in a while but like he enters the body or the consciousness of someone who is answering a phone call to be unplugged right so he exists there this feels like a simpler explanation like oh we just figured out machine shit and like morpheus is able to exist as like kind of ball bearings in like a sentient form he's in like a magnetic field or something right (laughs) yeah it's like nanotech that comes in a real handy later when he has to like fit in places where people can't be it's just like oh yeah like you're like you're worried about him but also like he's never actually in danger he's just kind of like snaking through like you know cables and pipes and whatever uh but yeah priyanka chopra jones who is once again you know a a program because her father was a program but also helped design things for both the matrix and the real world like he designed what like the pods where they stored people's bodies i think they said he designed the um anomalium or whatever what do they call that thing the anomalisium or <laughs> anomalisa get the name of it yeah the anomalisa wherever neo and trinity are right. like he created that so she has been keeping tabs sort of on neo in the matrix but then also was able to guide them through because she's intimately familiar with the area because you're dad designed it she's like uniquely qualified on both sides of this thing i guess yeah she hatches like the matrix 11 heist to get trinity later which is incredible which i didn't i didn't know this was going to turn into a heist film but 
Sure. <laughs> I was up for it. We have, like John mentioned, Jada Pinkett Smith back as Niobe, but instead of 20 years older, she's kind of 60 years older, I guess, even though that's maybe a stretch. She's probably like 30 in the front. Maybe she's 90 here. I don't know. What is her role? She's, oh, she's a general, right? In IO. She kind of like runs IO. But it's cool to see her back. Like she was not somebody I was expecting that I didn't know she was in this. And so I, I liked seeing Niobe back. So I thought that was pretty cool. I really liked IO as well. Like if there are more of these down the line, if the Merrill Lindgren gets his spinoff, and he's next on the list. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, let's go back to Io. Like, let's do an episode or two here. Very fascinating when they're like growing the strawberries and and all the uh, you know the robots or I should you know, the sentient AIs that are working with them in all the different shapes and forms and stuff. Like, very like a lot of fertile ground here. Like, this is the new. This is like the stuff that I feel like they maybe misstepped a little bit in the sequels by just glossing over how crazy Zion could be. And here they're actually like, no, look, like it's really cool around here. You know, I was like, good. We got it. We got some time to, you know, explore IO a little bit. I like that. I also I enjoy that IO is literally within Zion, as in like you take off the Z and the N, and like that's what you're left with is IO. Again, it's one of those like other sort of meta jokes <laughs> that permeates throughout um, the movie. I, I like Jada Pinkett Smith. I like Niobe has never been that interesting a character. I think the arc of the character was was interesting here. I, I think she mostly functions as a reference point for us, right? So like she has aged, so we know sort of like where chronologically the exterior matrix were world uh exists in reference to the previous one but i also like the idea that all of the old religious ideas and all the old religious figures are literally dying and like literally getting old and decaying there's a great cameo by telma hopkins who plays uh freya who's the um, yep. the norse the norse god of fertility just like cool to see her show up you know it's like one of those things that i think the um the wachowskis like to do is like resurrect these obscure and sometimes like forgotten actors that they like that was fun but like you know it's it's one of those things that like you see it with Niobe and you see it with Freya and then you see again with like the homeless Merovingian and this idea of we've moved on from these ideas we've moved on from these sort of these mythologies and and this world now is exploring something different philosophically so I think in terms of like the way that it's fact it's fit into the movie again it, it doesn't feel the Niobe thing doesn't feel arbitrary it feels like a plot point that is necessary even if it's kind of underdeveloped and that she's sort of a kind of forgettable presence in the movie it still um plays into the bigger thesis and i just like jada pinkett smith in general i think she's just an interesting performer she finally got out from behind that red table and now she's here in a movie once again you both mentioned him lambert wilson as the merovingian back so in reloaded in revolutions he was ready like old code that should not have existed right because he's the one who explains that like all the legends and lore and monsters and creatures and everything that people are like I, I i saw a werewolf i saw a vampire i saw whatever they are all just like Things that existed from previous versions of the Matrix that shouldn't still exist, but somehow do. And they're kind of like grandfathered in, like they shouldn't exist. And apparently, you know, they weren't erased here, but they're like, you have to be, you're outcast, you're now exiles, just you got to make do on your own. It was cool to see him pop up. I'm fascinated by him. I don't know if I need more of him, but I like that, like, because I don't really want to know, like, where he's scavenging or, like, why he can't, like, work his way back up. Because clearly he was charming and, like, powerful or whatever. But, like, I like that he popped up and they just, he was used as, like, an object, like, look, that guy kind of sucks and he's old. Like, we could barely beat him. Like, we can't beat agents. So, like, it was a nice double use of him, I think, in this movie. Yeah, I think it was a nice, again, like a little, just like a reference point, like kind of like a like a checkpoint or a marker or something along the way. Because like you said earlier, Joey, I feel like they are not just 
remixing the original, but all three movies kind of down into one new movie in a weird way um, and doing it well. And, you know, very much like in the real world, we kind of had to touch upon what was going on after the sequels. We kind of got to see like what else is going on with the sequels in the new Matrix, too. And like, it's kind of cool how the Merovingian is like, yeah, you just cannot get rid of me. Like, It does not matter. Like, I will survive. And like the whole idea that like the rest of the Matrix is purged, like there's no Oracle and all that shit. But like, yet he and his like little pack of werewolves survived or whatever. It's like, I don't know where Persephone is. Was that the name of his wife? Persephone like, and Mo- like like Monica Bellucci. Persephone. Yeah. yeah, I don't know where she's up to, but like, I'd much rather watch a show about what she's been doing than this guy, I suppose. But it was, yeah, it was just, you know, it's cool how they kind of like just boiled him down to just like this one reference. The Merovingian is so important to the way the story moves in the second and third Matrix that I don't think you can you could ignore his existence and like what happened to him. Uh, Persephone, you kind of can because she's for whatever you know better or worse she's sort of attached to the merovingian you know it reminded me of neil gaiman's american gods and in like what's going on here which is that all of these dead and dying ancient religious figures and ideas are like literally just being like left to rot (laughs) and or or like expelled from this new order that exists and so as, as the merovingian is kind of representative of hades and and Persephone and everything else you know Neil Gaiman's American Gods it, the idea is like that gods exist through thought form and if they if you're not thinking about them or worshiping them they, they, they don't exist anymore and so there's kind of this residual uh, elements of these gods that kind of do exist and, and I thought that was sort of it was funny and it's and it's clever because it's very clear that what guides sort of the spiritual world of the Matrix now within this context is in one part sort of this amorphous idea of love as you say Joey but also like psychology right and like pills and also this kind of personal religious belief system that emerges too where like we first see bugs and her first encounter with neo and it's this very like resurrected jesus moment right and so it's like very clear that we've kind of moved on from all that ancient stuff and and i think that's just um seeing him as this kind of bearded rambling homeless man i thought was a funny and clever and meta way of kind of making that point i like the way it fit into the story yeah. And you mentioned her. Bugs is like the real one main true fully new character. Like we talked about the remix versions of other characters, but Bugs is the most prominent fully new character. Bugs, like Bunny, uh, she has the white rabbit tattoo for Neo to follow, but also her name, like she's literally a bunny for him to follow. She's wearing a really cool, I don't know if you caught it, but a, a shirt with a carrot on it, which I thought was awesome um, on that train where they're, she's got like a really cool, just like a, like a clip art carrot, which I thought was very cool. But Bugs is awesome. And, you know, she's the, the leader of the this crew on the Nemesine, right? Like the the memory ship. Like they're all named after like Nebuchadnezzar or whatever, but Nemesine and she's like, okay, cool, got it. But she's great. And I like that she's kind of emblematic and I'm not trying to aside. She's also Nemiria Sand from Game of Thrones. She's great. But I, I like that she and her crew and just like the world around this feels, Johnny mentioned a couple times already, like Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss have like the androgynous characteristics, but like it feels like the world that Lana Wachowski fills this out with are like more representative of like a more LGBTQIA, like queer, non-binary, just sort of like everything like that sort of existed in the first one, like much more than a, a nine but it feels and i'm not saying that bugs is or i don't know what bugs is but like it just feels more inclusive and like the way that they're dressed and presented almost shouldn't be cool like we're so tired of like steampunk i think but like it's still really cool and i don't know how that how it's possible but like i love bugs and i think bugs is awesome yeah this this character is really great like i was a little worried that i wasn't 
not gonna not like whoever they chose to be the newest, the youngling, the new representative of the Matrix. Like, I knew I was going to enjoy it, but, like, I really ended up liking this character and this actor's performance and, um, you know, very much holding her own amongst, you know, Keanu and the franchise. And uh, the opening sequence is so cool. Like, I was in it right away as soon as she's sort of watching the scene from behind you know, the bookcase from Interstellar. Like, that's what that reminded me of, speaking again of it, dropping that mm-hmm. movie again. But, like, when she's, like, behind the original Matrix, like, watching it play out and everything, I was like, oh, man, this is so cool. And, like, I love how she's been looking for Neo, but we mentioned how they keep sort of changing his appearance and, and like, using deja vu to, like, hide him. So it was great that we have, like, this new believer and, like, the the myth is still alive out there and um, through sort of, like, rumblings and, and rumors, uh, she was able to track down Neo and, and sort of free him. So in a lot of ways, she's she's the new Morpheus and Trinity kind of like combined in a weird manner um, where she takes on sort of the role of the true believer and as well as like the Awakener. So like I thought that was really interesting um, going on with her. They, they really do figure out a way to kind of mix and match different aspects of the old characters into new ones in, in very interesting ways. From a purely like storytelling filmmaking standpoint, um, I think this character is really well executed. Uh, Jessica Henwick is great, very charismatic, but also like I don't care about her, and I, I mean that as a compliment. It's a very difficult line to to walk. This is not a movie about her. It's a it's a movie about Neo and Trinity, like full stop. And it reminds me almost of like of um of like the way Virgil appears in the Divine Comedy. That might be a little bit of a, like obscure reference, but of this like guide character who like is intriguing enough and interesting enough and you feel there's a backstory there and like that's cool it doesn't feel like an arbitrary character but ultimately like one that you can't care about because you're really not invested in that story first of all to write that effectively and then also have a an actor who can um, embody that is is really tough um and i think she does a fantastic job like i like the character of bugs i'm not upset when she's on screen or when they're like devoting time to her and i also don't care i'm not invested in like her her pre-story or her post-story she does what she's there to do which is to guide us really to open the door to the story about neo and trinity and, and let that story play out it is again it's an expertly written part and and it's an expertly performed part um because it's such a it's such a strange thing to be able to do and like to, to try to pull off like i don't know if you guys agree with me if you liked her more than i do but i i don't think there's much to her and that's kind of the point and then also like you have to make someone who's not that fleshed out interesting and she does and they do and and i think that's that's a really pretty stellar accomplishment well i think that what she does is like when when i enter the movie not knowing anything i'm like maybe the movie's just about her and i'm like i would be okay with that because i feel like she's set up it's interesting enough and the the role she's taking in the the point of view that she has of like i know this i've seen this right right and also it's unclear because you know her operator is there with her but she's also she's clearly i think maybe not clearly but it seems like she's in the matrix i think that's proven but the operator's kind of there as like either like angel on her shoulder or just like a, a voice in her ear but like i like that the way that like he physically embodied on screen too like i think that was kind of cool and like i'm like there's something interesting here and maybe she's just like watching but no she's actually there and i was i just found her interesting and then when it becomes like you said neo and trinity story i'm like okay that makes more sense but i would have been okay like i think that there is a story of hers to tell whether that's looking for neo or whatever 
I, I completely agree. I, I guess, like, I, I think what you just said there is, is the important point. Like, you get to a point in the movie early on where you're like, oh, this could be about this person. She's kind of interesting. And then you're like, oh, it's not. And that's fine. Because you already kind of get what her story is, right? You've seen it before, so you, so, so you don't need to see it again. And again, like, that's a kind of a risky and difficult storytelling device to use, but, but they use it so well here um, in, in making her both uninteresting but also potentially interesting and so you're like okay i get it like i i I could see this character being being cool and i don't need a movie about her so if they ever did make another matrix movie it probably would be about her maybe but like i don't think that's gonna happen Uh, it's funny because like i totally get what you're feeling on a level because like i was never worried like i was never worried that she was gonna die you know like if i had (laughs) had some kind of like (laughs) care about that at some point like god i hope she doesn't die in this but that thought like never crossed my mind so i think on some level i i hear what you're saying where it's like yeah she's just a she's kind of like a tool and i don't mean that in a bad way or anything but like literally later they're gonna use her as like a double for trinity to get her out of the matrix and right and it's like well we need you because you're as close to trinity as we got right now which doesn't like, oh. exactly make sense to me but i'm just like yeah sure whatever yeah, I'll who roll cares. With that. <laughs> right. in a way there is sort of like this thanklessness about that role but like also like to pull it off like you said is like incredibly seems incredibly challenging to do it with this much kind of grace you know because like because she does it does feel like she thinks it's her movie in a lot of ways i think the plot point you brought up is exactly that like it's a commentary on that very thing it's like oh i get it she's as close as you got to, to trinity for now and like that's that's what she's here for right it's a, it's a literally a catalyst through which the story can happen right um and we're even going to write that into the story itself through that her sort of doubling for trinity and her resurrection that's a that's a good point because i think she and her crew feel like the kind of group of people you're like was there like a web series about them that i didn't see (laughs) yes a matrix Matrix resurrections (laughs) that i didn't know about because i like her crew you know there's the neologist that we talked about but basically like the way that i sum up her crew and also the other you know ship captains in io which is like you know everybody you saw in sense8 they're all here the telenovela girlfriend or wife or beard is here the cop is here the german dj guy is here too like i don't know if either of you watch sense8 but like three of the sensates are in like semi-prominent roles in this movie or like you know not prominent but like more than just background characters also i read while just i want to i don't know else i'm going to mention it apparently tom hardy he's in the background of one of these shots because they were filming let there be carnage while they were filming this in san francisco so like he's just like yeah i'll do like an uncredited background role so tom hardy's somewhere in this movie it would have been amazing if venom was in this movie but like, I, I just like that scene. I'm like, why do I know? Oh, because they're from Sense8. Okay, cool. So, you know, again, a show that I love because it's the Wachowskis. Like, what if love like conquered everything? Like, yeah, cool. I'm on board. Uh, but three of them are, at least three of them are in this movie. So I just like them. The guy who is a neologist is from Sense8. He's the cop. He's one of the Sense8s in that show. But anything to say about any of those people? Is that Shepard? Is that the guy's name? Who's the who's the expert on Neo? He's also from Sense8. Okay. He's a different guy. Okay. The neologist is Berg. Oh, okay. Uh huh. And then also Lexi, who is Erendira Ibarra, mm-hmm. is also from Sense8. Oh, also, yeah, okay. And the guy who's the operator, Sequoia, is also from Sense8. Okay, cool. Yeah, it seems like it's all Sense8 actors or like stunt men that the Wachowskis have worked with in the past who basically fill yeah. out the rest of this cast, which I think is great because they also did the same thing in the first Matrix. That it was like a lot of uh, a lot of stunt actors were playing speaking roles, which is cool. 
And then also Christina Ricci's here for 45 seconds. Be like, yeah, she still looks great and still fun and charming. Like, okay, cool. Got it. So weird, though, that she's so high listed in the cast. Well, and it was also it was also one of those things where it's just like, oh, Christina Ricci signs under the Matrix Resurrections. So I'm like, OK, that's interesting. And she's in one scene as an executive. It's like, OK. I think there was more to that story that didn't make the, the final edit. But um, yeah, it's it's weird. I have to say, like, one of my favorite, this is completely sort of we're just kind of talking about the cast right now. One of my favorite, again, like a meta commentaries is that one of the characters name is Function, but it's spelled with a K and then a K capital I and then like one of those O's with like a slash through it which is very much the sort of screen name that someone has like now <laughs> and not in like 1999 or 2003 when the originals came out so it's very much like a um, a nod to the way that like those you know elite spellings uh, have have taken precedence within the cyber world in the 20 years since the original I just watched the Halloween, speaking of resurrection, I watched Halloween Resurrection and the screen name in that the guy is using is just Deckard. It's like that. What? That's just the guy's name. Deckard. Cool. Sure. Got it. Okay. I'm sure that wasn't taken or whatever on whatever chat program you're using. Well, I mean, I almost even wondered if Bugs was Bugs. I mean, obviously, because Bugs Bunny, because she says it. But I mean, you know, that's a Warner Brothers property. And Warner Brothers is like straight out name check in this. And like slammed here, right? Yeah, yeah, they talk about the suits, like, approving this and that and all that all the time. But she's a bug in the programming, like, that she's a... Yeah. Like she's a computer bug. And yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think that's exactly what it is. It's like, oh, we got to get the property in there. And it's like a joke about, you know, Warner Brothers demanding that you uh, synergize all of their property. It's even wilder since Space Jam 2 was out this year and Bugs Bunny was like traversing the Warner Brothers Matrix universe and everything. And the Matrix characters are in the background of like the, the final basketball game in that movie too. So it all it all coalesces into one symbiotic property franchise. What is your favorite moment in this movie? Because we have not talked about mine yet. Okay. Favorite moment, Matrix Resurrections. There is no spoon, literally. <laughs> yeah, he is eating a steak, though, at one point. I thought that was a nice little, I don't know, I no one I listened to online caught that, you know. Just that little shot of him eating a steak is like harkens back to Cypher making the deal and being trapped. You know, that's not my favorite moment, but what I what I loved is like, so we talk a lot on Too Fast, Too Forever, where we talk about the Fast and Furious movies on repeat forever, that it feels like when they write a new Fast and Furious movie, they don't remember that there were other ones. They don't like reference back to them. And it's just like, there's such an easy opportunity for like a callback here or a joke or a reference or like, you already have that solved. Like just reference that thing. And they just don't do it. But what I loved about this and what I was surprised at how well it worked is when Thomas and his boss, when, when Keanu and Jonathan Groff are sitting down in the office and they're talking about like, you know, Warner called us back in. They're going to go forward either way, which is, again, how this was. They apparently went to the Wachowskis were like, we're going to make a fourth one whether you want to or not. They're like, all right, fine, we'll do it because we don't want to, like, have you bastardize it or whatever. Jonathan Groff says to, to, to Neo, he's just like, well, how did you describe our first meeting? We had all of the chemistry of an FBI interrogation and they flash back to the first time that Neo and Agent Smith met. I'm like, that's so cool. Like, because it's like they remember it and they reference it and like it almost like in other things that I don't like as much, like I don't need to see it, but the way that they show it and also as like a reminder because like his mouth gets the gooey stuff in that scene too like it's just the effortless way that they refresh and remind and remix and everything what came before mm-hmm. i think is just amazing and just like what you were saying mike about like the steak it's like yeah like you might not remember that cypher had a dinner with agent smith to like figure out how to get out or you know to sabotage the team but if you remember it's like yeah that's what he's doing here 
Yeah, it just there's so many just like great moments and like I said, like I just love the whole movie. Um I think though like for my money, maybe my favorite if I had to just say like my favorite scene, like if I was going to go watch a piece of this movie right now, I think it would be um when Neil goes to talk to Trinity and the analyst like does his whole bullet time mm. speech and that whole reveal like you know basically the thesis of this version of the matrix and you know have we resurrected him like that all that shit and 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 neil patrick harris's performance and he's like it was like renovating a house you know it was like all that <laughs> like i just love all of that yeah it's 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 the architect scene from reloaded right redone and it, the, that's the best scene in that movie too so yeah it's uh and it's and it's more than just someone sitting in a chair this time we're getting movement and flashbacks and like more clarity about what's going on and yeah yeah so that was that was great that was great my favorite moment is also kind of there's there's sort of elements around it that I also kind of wanted to talk about really quickly, which is so my favorite moment is the is the moment in what's the clever name of the coffee place a latte uh, simulate right yeah uh, <laughs> where Thomas and and, and Tiffany uh, meet for the first time and and they touch hands and like the reason why I think that moment is so great is again because it is there's a meta element to it but also there's a lot of commentary that I. I think Lana Wachowski is doing herself about some of the choices that were made in the original trilogy and also sort of the way that those are playing out now. So first of all, there's the fact that Jude, the not at all subtly named Jude is the one who's introducing her, right? And of course, like in the Gospels, it's Judas who points Jesus out to the Romans for his arrest and betrays him that way. And so Jude, who's this like annoying betrayer character in this context, it's it's so obvious and it's so like not, there's not even any winking going on here that it's almost like Lana Wachowski herself is kind of making a kind of fun commentary on the way way that these religious ideas and images and characters were used in the original matrix and just sort of like throwing in the towel <laughs> which i think is great but if you look at then at that moment as sort of a moment of betrayal or a moment where a character who's reluctant to fulfill his destiny right has that sort of push over the cliff and then the, the, the moment where their hands touch is just so like electric in the way that it's performed by both of them and that moment of realization but like not quite realization and the reason that i think it's such an important moment in terms of like looking back at the original trilogy is the thing in reloaded that gets the most sort of scorn from fans is the whole like rave orgy scene that we talked about at length when we talked about reloaded and why i think that scene's so important is because it emphasizes the significance of humanity and like physical touch and like physical existence this is that same thing in this like much more sophisticated 20 years later much more grown-up lana wachowski way where these two actors portray that same very kind of visceral physical connection with their hands and it's so beautiful and like just so well shot and acted and framed that like that to me is the thing that sort of makes the movie like gives it its heart it's like everything that leads up to and then um, transpires from that moment 
I just love it. Yeah, that scene. So there's the scene where Tiffany, like you were saying before, when Trinity makes Tiffany her dead name and just like, stop calling me that. And she like reaches for Neo and then they go outside, right? And it's like them reaching for one another. Like that scene made me cry both times I saw it. Where it's like, it's just, again, the love conquers all. It's like them physically being together. Because like also in this movie, like Neo has a, like he, he can Hadouken kind of, like he just has like this new power that like is never really explained. But like them together is an even more powerful version of that where it's just like nothing can literally nothing can stop them when they're together when they're touching and you know mike like you were saying in that in the warehouse scene or in the workshop scene where he's talking about assets and bases and blah 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 and like you can't have them too close together because like bad things happen it's like yeah bad things happen to you but like great things happen for them right and like you know it's paid off when trinity is the one who's flying and saving neo later and just you know when they touch great things happen and just them actually physically touching for the first time after she awakens and becomes her true self i'm like this is this is everything i ever wanted yeah amen any other thoughts about Resurrections? It's on HBO Max now, obviously, for another couple of weeks, depending on when this comes out. But I think it should be out until like about January 20th or so. Then it'll probably be on Blu-ray like in March. And so available to rent and buy and whatever and own then. But uh, Mike, any other thoughts about Resurrections? Um, so I guess like in conclusion, um, I got maybe like 10% of what I think I was expecting from a Matrix sequel, right? But like 100% of what I didn't know I wanted and by that I mean is like I thought that they were literally just gonna like continue the story like what's going on in Zion now who's freeing who from the Matrix you know just like sort of a Force Awakens thing where like the ball's still rolling I did not expect this like such a analysis of the artist's own work over the course of 20 years and taking into account like every praise and criticism along the way again from like right off the bat i mean i remember when the matrix first came out people were like yeah what if we lived in a video game and to you know even go that far back to say like the matrix and the new matrix was a video game like it was just such a surprise and my mind it just got my mind firing like so hard to like want to be like creative again or like be more creative spend more time being creative and like using that energy for that um and yeah i I definitely felt like i was sort of like given a a boost like a shot in the arm or something by the by lana wachowski to to like you know you were maybe falling asleep a little bit there sir like wake up you know we gotta wake back up a little bit i saw you nodding off and like that to me is like what the what this movie has done in my life i guess right now during these last two years right like the last two years have gotten a lot of people down pretty far and like you know there has been some depression along the way but like to see someone be able to work through their issues like this like i don't know there's like there's something really hopeful about seeing the matrix in this light now and uh like i was just i'm just really glad uh around to see it and uh it was really great to talk to you guys about it so that's where i'm at that actually leads me to a very good question that i think we maybe danced around all episode and that we've been talking about sort of since we saw the movie is will we see a matrix five i was so definitive that we will never get a matrix four i said to you guys that like after seeing this one of my friends was like you think they're gonna do sequels it's like did you did you not watch the movie like it feels like the movie is just like stop making these movies like we're gonna make it because like we don't want you to mess with it but like please stop making these movies like not just no more matrix sequels but this movie is like no more sequels like no more sequels no more reboots kind of thing so i'm gonna uh, once again say we will not get another matrix movie i mean if it's as good as this by all means keep making them if they're good if the wachowskis are there or whatever but if it's just like oh we're gonna make another matrix we're gonna reboot with michael b jordan again to bring that back up like i don't want that but do you think mike do you think we'll get a matrix 5 
hey, you know, like they said in this movie, I think with or without him. And hopefully if they're going to do it, I would like the Wachowski sisters to, to come together to do the next one. You know, I really feel like that extra kind of creative input might put this even further over the might might warrant what it takes to make the next one right you know what i'm saying like get the wachowskis back together if you're gonna do it like that i would like to see john matrix five okay i have i guess a few things i need to say before i get to that and the answer is maybe uh (laughs) but probably not and and i solid i I have i have a reason why probably not but just like you know in in terms of like because you were asking about final thoughts i again if you go back and listen to our last episodes about uh from five years ago one of the things that I said was like, if if they do explore further religious ideas, like what are they going to be? And and I think this movie kind of speaks for itself. Like I don't have to go into great detail. I've alluded to a lot of things. I don't have to go into great detail what's going on here. It, it is exactly what I thought it would be based on the title of the movie, which is the idea of like, once you have all these ideas, once the sort of religious story is told, what then? What happens? What's the story? How do people then interpret those things? Right. And like, I think the most interesting thing that happens, happens with Bugs is that she sees the risen Neo and like, you know, it, it's sort of a, a way of saying, once these things are out in the world, they are then up for us to kind of explore and interpret and make of them what we will, right? And so, like that's, I think that's one kind of lane that the 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 book is being closed um, with this movie, as far as that goes, right? We get the idea of like the. The, the theology of deism right through through the analyst where it's like this guy who's just there to watch what happens and not to actually like intervene right the way that the uh the architect is it's there's a lot of existentialism it's this whole like way of saying like there's really not a lot more to explore like go live your life and explore them yourselves like i think that's one of sort of the underlying messages of this of, of this movie so as far as that goes I think the answer is like, no, we're, we're not going to get any, any more out of this. But I also think that one of the things that um, drives this movie is the focus on memory and the focus on the idea of like nostalgia and wanting to know what happens to your favorite characters and not being happy with like them dying at the end <laughs> and, and wanting to bring them back to life. And that's valuable. I I think this movie in a weird way, like values the idea of bringing something back to life. If there's a reason to do it. Right. Right. Is there a reason to bring Neo and Trinity back to life in the movie? Yes. A reason to do it other than just making more money. Right. 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 And, you know, I think it's very kind to the idea of nostalgia, but while doing that also makes a point to say, you don't need this franchise to tell great stories and you don't need this franchise to tell cool action movies. And the fact that it's not that great of an action movie is part of the point. It's saying like, if you want a cool sci-fi action movie, lots of people are making really cool sci-fi martial arts action movies. You don't need this for that, right? So like move on and go do something else because Trinity is going to go make a bunch of rainbows and that's what we're going to do here and so you know i would never say that this story is over and that in 20 years time either of the wachowskis are going to be like hey i got something else to say and i'm going to use this world to say it which is what it feels like this this movie is so i wouldn't close the book as far as that goes but in terms of anybody wanting another matrix movie after this i don't think so like i don't but I don't because I loved it, not because I hated it. And I think people who hated it are going to be like, I hate this. I've hated this since Reloaded. I'm like, I was, I checked out a long time ago and I don't care. So 
I would never say never because again, one of the things that the the movie tells us is like stories don't end and this one doesn't have a conclusive ending. And certainly there's a story that's being told after the end of the movie. So maybe I'd be interested to see if either of the Wachowskis are like, yeah, I got something else to say about this. And if they are, if they do, then it's going to be a great movie and I'm totally on board for it. And if they don't, then great. Like I, I've really appreciated being in this world and all of the complicated ways that it's shown me a lot of the things that I've already thought and explored and like given me a new lens to look at them. And um, I'm, I'm forever grateful. Yeah, and I think what's really particularly interesting is that we live in a time where I watch more movies than just about anybody I know, and I've stopped tracking when things come out. Because, you know, another podcast that Mike and I do, for instance, Cruise Club, we were supposed to have the new Top Gun movie, and I think a new Mission Impossible movie in 2020, right? And now we're in 2022, and neither is out yet. And so... I was excited for The Matrix Resurrections. I was maybe cautious or hesitant because I'm just like, I love the original so much and I love the trilogy. I think it ends and I don't know if we need this, but like, I know it's coming out and I know that the right people are involved and whatever. But I feel like nobody was really talking about this movie because it also came out the same week that Spider-Man No Way Home came out. And my favorite film critic or one of my favorite film critics, you know, he does the year end video roundup, wrap up, recap, whatever that I love so much, David Ehrlich. He was overly harsh, I feel like, on Spider-Man, but his review of The Matrix Resurrections was what Ahem resurrected my excitement about this was that like Spider-Man was sort of exactly what you think it was going to be. And it's, you know, it was spoiled and it was, you know, all these rumors that you heard were true and it was fun for fans, but it's like exactly what the fans wanted. And that it also sort of feeds into the whole like let's just make another movie to make another movie to make a billion dollars to make people happy or whatever which isn't a bad thing but it's also like you know not necessarily creatively fulfilling and then the same week that comes out this comes out where it's like let's not do anything that like anybody wants and not only that but like kind of take a step back and be like the whole system that you've bought into that that hollywood has been selling you for decades now is broken and you should be embarrassed and like also still make a good movie it's like that's wild and so i think while he was overly critical of no way home which i think is a lot of fun and i think it has reason to be i think that this his review of this i was like oh my god like i a new matrix movie is coming out this week and i haven't really been paying attention because you know the world is on fire and also things get delayed and whatever but to see this and for it to be as good as it is and to be as fulfilling as it is and also like cynical in a way that like isn't actually negative i think is just amazing and i just i still just kind of can't believe that this exists that we have it that we were able to watch it that you know we can own it shortly and just like it have it forever like it just it feels like we don't deserve this but we you know it's here so anyway that's a long way of saying spider-man is good but matrix is better yeah agreed mike what do you want to plug let's plug stuff sure uh so joey and i do several podcasts together from keanu which you're listening to now to nick cage the titular podcast of the network and Charlize theron tom cruise tom hanks uh elvis we've got some elvis episodes out this year and uh so go listen to all those great episodes of those shows i also do a show called third times a charm which uh, you know i just said no more sequels and stuff but like please don't stop making trilogies or else that show's gonna go away but i've got like a much better show than that that people like more which is called monsters that made us which is the final friday of every month with my co-host dan cologne where we talk about the original universal monster movies so we've been watching those one at a time every month going deep and analyzing that and it's been a lot of fun and so thank you for listening 
I just found out today that Karin Kusama is doing a Dracula movie, which I'm very excited about. So, Oh, man, yeah. There's going to be a lot of like monster stuff coming out in the next couple of years. So very excited. That's not the, not the same one as Nick Cage is in? There's another different Dracula? No, I think that's a Renfield movie. This, I don't know. This apparently, and what I read, and maybe I misread it, Dracula's not in the movie, but it's still a Dracula movie. So I don't know, man. But Karin Kusama rules. So, John, what do you want to plug? Uh, let's see. My show, Hard to Believe, just finished its second season and is now on hiatus until the spring. But you can catch up on, I don't know, like 70-something plus episodes? I have no idea. A lot of episodes. A bunch. There's like 50 this past year alone. So a bunch of stuff to listen to. Go ahead, find it. It's on all of your podcast feeds, uh, Apple and Spotify and everything else. And you can give it a five-star review and that helps other people find it. Uh, and if you don't like it, then give it no review and just move on. And that's fine. And we'll pretend this never happened. So that's done. That's good. And then we want, do you want to, do you want me to mention what we're doing next year, Joey? No, just tease later this year. Just keep an eye out on cageclub.me. John and I got something coming. Who knows when? I, Cause I don't want to put dates on it. I don't, I don't want to put expectations out there. Later this year, Joey and I will yeah. be revisiting just the first Matrix movie for reasons that pertain to this new venture that we have coming up soon. So keep an eye out for that. It's the first time that Joey and I have done a podcast together since before the Cage Club podcast network existed. Since before you were a dad. Since before most of you all listening were born probably because every time something is born something has to die and so teddy was born and our podcast died also i can't imagine how rough those podcasts are to listen to sports or starters i think they exist on the internet but not publicly available this will be better this will be better than that i hope so yeah check that out look out for that lots of me coming in the spring on your podcast feeds every tuesday too fast too forever joe two and i go through the fast and furious movies we alternate them with movies not in the fast and furious franchise this lap we are doing the shaw brothers movies some movies made by the shaw brothers but also starring people with the last name shaw in the universe so the jason statham movies the luke evans movies the vanessa kirby movies and the helen mirren movies we are about a third of the way through the lap so check that out every tuesday too fast too forever and then every other thursday we do how to win the lottery me and my friend bob fisher it's a book review podcast where we read a book every two weeks and we talk about it and it's overwhelming amount of work for people so i don't think i think that's why people aren't listening because who has time to read a book every two weeks but uh me. we recorded an episode really a really good episode i think yesterday about a book that i hated and that bob kind of liked and kind of didn't like that he had reread called guile's goat boy by john barth uh, but that'll come out at the end of this month but every other thursday how to win the lottery check that out everything at cageclub.me and for all things keanu club you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on twitter and instagram email us mailbag at cageclub.me come back what's the next keanu movie do we know oh i thought it was supposed to be john wick 4 it probably will be right but that's going to be next year, right? Oh, he's going to be in that DC League of Super Pets. That's right. I don't know if we're going to do a whole episode about that. Maybe we will. But with, with The Rock and Kevin Hart and Kate McKinnon and John Krasinski and everybody. But cageclub.me for everything. Just keep an eye on that and at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Mike Manzi. And that was our religious expert and all sorts of experts, John Brooks of Hard to Believe. And we'll see you next time right here on Keanu Club.
still no kung fu.